Have you ever met one of those people who just can't be stopped? It's like they're unstoppable. Yeah, I have. Me too. What's their mystique? Nothing stops these people. Welcome to Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso. You're about to meet some of the most amazing people. They've accomplished their goals despite insurmountable odds. They beat adversity, physical hardship, and traumatic events and emerge triumphantly. They're people just like you and me. And they're winners. Are you unstoppable? Here's Frankie to show you how. Well, welcome to Mission Unstoppable and welcome to 2016. This is our first show of the new year, so let me wish each and every one of you a very happy new year. And may your lives be blessed with good health, prosperity, and of course, much love. And today's show is all about love. And my guest is a man who has spent a lifetime seeking love in all of its forms. So how does one find self-love? How can we give love to others and how can we show our love to the world? Well, today we're going on a mission unstoppable with our guide, Ram Geary, author of Heart Sourcing, Finding Our Way to Love and Liberation. And Ram Geary holds a master's and a PhD in transpersonal psychology. He's a licensed mental health counselor, clinical hypnotherapist, and addiction specialist. He's practiced and shared the gifts of therapy and the world's wisdom traditions with people from all walks of life for the past 20 years. People like you and I who struggle with all kinds of problems. He's an associate professor with Union Institute and University and a pioneer in the higher development of human consciousness. Today, we're going to walk alongside him as we retrace his personal journey, find his lessons for the world. Now, his book, as I mentioned, was called Heart Sourcing, Finding Our Way to Love and Liberation. And his journey starts as he transitions from Andreas Braun to Ram Geary. So welcome, Ram Geary. Welcome to the show. Hi, Frankie. Great to be here. I'm so pleased to have you here. Let's take these folks uh, back to the very beginning. You were born in post-war Germany, 1951, Mm -hmm. and that came with all kinds of challenges for you. Yeah, I mean, there was one personal aspect. I was very sick as a child, and I was many times almost uh, dead. So they just uh, scooped me back from the the edge of (laughs) existence many times. But uh, this happened in the in the circumstance of living in a country that was in complete turmoil with itself. They had just lost the Second World War in a row that they had more or less started, right. especially the second one. And when the country was completely down and out on its knees, at that time, they then found out the atrocities of the Holocaust, and it was just more than people could take. So the entire environment was awash in profound shame and guilt and anger and fear. Uh, It was a mess. So I was born into this kind of uh, atmosphere, and I had a really tough time living. I was very depressed, and my self-esteem was lower than a snake's belly. Uh, I was anxious and fearful, and that was how life seemed to be for everyone in those days. 
You know, it's interesting because you talk about playing in the in the craters, you know, that the bombs had made. And yeah. you must have been a very sensitive child. I mean, you're a sensitive person to start with, but very sensitive to, to take on. It's almost like you took on all of the the horror and, and the shame as your own, like you did it. You know? Yeah, it's it's a funny thing because in the subconscious mind, I think everyone now not everyone is that sensitive to it for sure, right. but uh, everyone is tuned into the collective mind of their group of people, their tribe, and right. my collective uh, attunement was to this mindset that my God, we are the worst murderers in human history, mm-hmm. and that was a very very heavy thing to carry for me as a child. This well, you was not entirely conscious, you know. Right. No, of course not. And and you mentioned that the people either escaped through hard work, you know, not let's not yeah. think about this because we, you know, we don't want to know about what we did, um, yeah. or or you know, very few probably stayed uh, with their Nazism. But um, I mean, Germany is is such a country of of uh, you know pristine. It's pristine. You know, it, everything is in its right place. Everything is, you know, is that something that is that the way the german people are is this to hide things what do you think you know well i have to say something about germany as a whole and that is that i really honor the german people for actually really dealing with their past it -hmm. took many decades to really do that nobody Mm -hmm. did that in the 50s and early 60s right Mm -hmm. but uh, they have really dealt with their past and just recently what we're seeing how the country is has taken on a million and hundred thousand refugees in this last yes. uh, year alone, and yes. that comes with tremendous difficulties and costs. But they have done it because there is some spirit of humanity alive in them, and I really honor that. That's a wonderful thing. They have dealt with their dark past in a in a great and admirable way, I must say. But that I, yeah. wasn't happening when I was a kid. No, no. And I was in Bavaria last year. And you're right. The young people carry no shame. You know, they're, they're like, hey, you know what? It wasn't us. You can't hate me. And they just, we're going to, we recognize what happened and we're moving forward. And we're not going to be anything like, you know, well, our parents' great parents. That you, that's great that you see it like that. And there are some of that going on. But I also personally have the experience when you scratch on a German and you get a little deeper. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's there. It's still there. You know how they say that it takes, uh, in the Bible actually, it says that it takes uh, seven generations for the sins of the fathers to be overcome. Right. And I just knew I didn't have that much time. You know, <laughs> I was it's, in the first it's interesting generation. because I, I'm, you know, I was born in Austria in 57. And, oh, right. and, and, you know, my family, almost all of my family was, was killed in the camps. You know, I, I come from a Jewish family, and and right. my uncle is 102. Was in every concentration camp there was. Is still alive today and teaching uh, about oh, the Holocaust. Awesome. Yeah, amazing. But has no animosity. You know, there's nothing there. And I and I think you know, That's I don't know how he did rare. it. Yeah, very yeah. rare. That's very rare. Yeah. And yeah. that was actually, of course, as you read my book, that was my deepest hell. Yes. was this unconscious implication that I felt, the shame that I felt that I was implicated in this horrific uh, history. And I had to somehow clear that up if I was ever going to be happy. 
It's interesting, you know, because I was thinking about, as I was reading your book, and you mentioned, you know, there, yes, there's other genocides, there's other holocausts, there's other, you know, going around the world. But as I was reading it, 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 it really hit me that this is the center. You know, Europe was the center of culture. This was art mm. and music and everything. And, and, you know, you can almost say, well, maybe in Africa they're not educated or they're not, you know, but this was the center. Yeah, so yeah. how does the center, the people... The brightest minds, the you know artistic talents, come to to that you know to the edge. Let's say, how does that happen? It's well, amazing. You know, I don't really usually go into that type of speculation, and here's why: when we see what happened, it shows us one thing, and that is as much cultured and cultivated and moral as we think we are and are on the you know in our minds. We all carry a shadow. Right. And I have come to find out that the greatest service we can do to ourselves as well as to humanity as a whole is to overcome that shadow. And for that, we have to look at it. Mm-hmm. We have to deal with it directly. And my work over the last many decades now has been to find the most effective ways that we can free our, and simple ways that we can free ourselves from the burden of our shadow, from our deepest pain, our deepest fear, the things that we feel we just don't ever want to get close to because they're too uh, difficult to touch. But, you know, what happens every once in a while, they come back up into our face. Mm -hmm. So we have to deal with them in one way or another. And most people just repress them again. And then you just wait until the day they recycle again. And that makes no sense. Well, your journey wasn't easy <laughs> at all. But, you know, you're at a time of flower children, and it almost felt like you were on the run, trying to outrun yourself in some ways, <laughs> you know? And, and so here you are drawn to India, as many people were drawn to India, young people. You know, yeah. the answer's in India. And I'm not sure why the answer's in India, but maybe you can tell us. And it was, oh, and it was interesting when you, when you met Ram Dass in, in London, because mm. you mentioned that book, and I, and I went to look up the book, and I, had, I purchased that book in 2008. <laughs> I, I, I recognized the cover, and I go, oh, yeah, look at that. I yeah, have that yeah. book. Be Here Now, you're talking about Be Here Now, Yeah, right? Be Here Now, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, that was a, sort of a Bible of my whole generation. Millions of people really found out about spiritual spiritual aspect of reality through that book he was a a real uh, shape uh, you know shifter of cultures mm-hmm. at the time well it was you know it was interesting so how did you know andreas find himself heading off to india and for what well, purpose you see what happened was that i had very deep in my soul a yearning to be free mm-hmm And my day-to-day situation was exactly the opposite. I was deeply caught in my personal drama and my pain. But that desire was genuine. It was profound. And I know I'm not an exception that Mm -hmm. when people have a deep, genuine, earnest desire for freedom, for spiritual enlightenment for the end of suffering or whatever they call it, then that path opens up before them. And so I was in Europe and uh, didn't quite know what to do with my life. Um, At that time, 
the school I was in didn't make much sense anymore. I was a school dropout. I was searching for something else. I was searching for answers, but I had no idea where they were going to come from. And then one day I ended up in uh, London and sitting in a restaurant. Uh, this was a day after I had found this book, Be Here Now. And in the book, uh, Ramdas, who used to be Richard Alpert, this is a whole history, right? So Richard Alpert and I'm going to stop Leary. you right there. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm going to stop you right there because we're going to go to a commercial break. So when we get back, sure. we're going to find out about Ram we'll Dass. We're going to find out about, about Richard and what happened in London. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. So stay tuned. Stay close. You are not going to want to miss this story. That's right. Don't stop listening. Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso will continue right after these messages. If you're ready for a big change in your work, your career, your happiness, your life, it's time for the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 central on Toginet.com. Marla believes that with the right mindset, anything is possible. Join us as successful life coach Marla Tabaka inspires you and her clients to explore, discover, and live your dreams by developing what she calls the million-dollar mindset. Marla will inspire you to take action on your dreams and reveal secrets to success that will help you realize your own unique power. Tune into the million-dollar mindset for heartwarming stories with Marla Tabaka. Learn tips and tricks to building a successful business and unlock the secrets to creating a happier, more balanced life through abundant thinking and attraction power. For more information on the Million Dollar Mindset, go to our website, MarlaTabaka.com. That's M-A-R-L-A-T-A-B-A-K-A.com. It's the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 p.m. Central on Toginet.com. For new words you never heard, I sometimes come across words from other countries that don't have English equivalents. For instance, culatino is an Italian word for the mark left on a table by a cold glass. Vault ein Samkeit is a German word for a feeling of solitude and connection to nature. Did you notice that Ralph Waldo Emerson's famous book is a part of the word? Kumorebi is a Japanese word to describe the way sunlight looks as it filters through the trees. Sobremesa is a Spanish word that refers to the period of time after a meal when you have conversations with the people you ate with. If someone tells you a joke so badly that you end up laughing at them instead of the punchline, they would be called a gaius in Indonesia. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my new app, Too Funny for Words. And we're back, and thanks for sticking around. We are with Ram Geary, and we are on his journey to freedom. The quest for freedom. <laughs> and I think we found ourselves, he said, uh, in London, uh, beginning the psychedelic train, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Right. Yeah. No, this was already, I was already on the psychedelic train. On oh, the psychedelic uh, train. Okay. What, what happened there, just for those listeners who are not familiar with this history, that Timothy Leary and Richard Alpert were these two Harvard professors. And in the 50s still, I think, or early 60s, they started experimenting with psychedelic drugs. Uh, 
Mm -hmm. uh, psilocybin mushrooms in Mexico and LSD later and so on. They became the LSD prophets of this generation. At and Berkeley. a lot of people, yeah, a lot of people started doing that. Right. And uh, then uh, this, the rest is history. They got fired from Harvard and uh, continued their different paths. And Richard Alpert had gone to India to find if he could find somebody who could tell him what this consciousness business was all about because he was having great, incredible and very real experiences with his experimentation, but he couldn't quite make sense of it. And um, in the book, Be Here Now, he chronicled his journey to India and how he met this guru named Nimkaroli Baba or known as Maharaji and met him and had a profound experience where he realized two things. The first thing was that this man could read everything in his mind as clear as looking through a piece of glass. There was absolutely nothing hidden in, 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 from him. Now, at first, that was sort of mind-blowing for him. He didn't know where to put this. Nobody had taught him that at Harvard, that that was possible, right? Mm -hmm. And, of course, he also had a lot of stuff in his mind that he didn't want anyone to know. And so it all was suddenly exposed. It was clearly exposed. And somehow it was like his mind gave up trying to figure out what was going on. And he looked up at the man and looked into a face, face of Maharaji, that beamed at him absolutely unconditional, all-encompassing love. And that was a crucial moment in his life where he realized that even though he had a lot of stuff that was filled with shame and fear and so on and so forth, he could be loved in the middle of all of that. And he then stayed in India for a while and got trained, came back to the United States, and the outcome after a while was this book, Be Here Now. So I journeyed to... Uh, London, just after I had run into this book, one of the first copies that had come across the Atlantic to Europe, and sitting in a little restaurant in London, five minutes after I sat down, the door opens and Ramda stands in the doorway. And the man was beaming light. I can't explain to you how that happened, but he was just, he had such a presence. It was incredible. Many people reported that at that time about mm -hmm. him. And we spoke, he came with a group of maybe 10, 15 people. They had arrived from India the same hour I had arrived in London the day before, and then we met there. And we spoke maybe 10 minutes, and he gave me an address in India and just said, these are some friends of his, I should go see them, because I told him I was planning to go to India. Mm -hmm. So that was that. At the time... The address of the guru was hidden. The word was that he didn't want a big crowd there and you couldn't find him. That was that. So I just thought, well, interesting story about somebody else's guru. Mm -hmm. But the fact was that uh, the address that Ramdas had given me was, in fact, the way to find my way to Maharaji. And about a year later, I sat with him, sat at his feet. And the experience I had was different from Ram Dass's, but it was no less transforming. 
when you're in the presence of someone who knows you completely, much deeper than you know yourself, and who loves you completely, and I can't describe to you that love. All of us, there's maybe two, three hundred Westerners who ever met him. And all of us say the same thing. We all had been loved by our parents, by our mothers, by our siblings, by our teachers. But nobody had experienced ever this level of love, this absolute love. And it just transformed us. There was nothing to do. We sat in this presence and the pain slowly melted away from us. Now, what was interesting to me when I read that, because it's in some ways, you know, this idea that people say, if you can't love yourself, you can't love others. And that you, you weren't loving yourself, but you could feel this unconditional love towards you. Yeah, right. But you see, this is correct. I could, I, I can and anyone can love others only as much as you can love yourself. Mm-hmm. So, but it's easier to that, love others than ourselves sometimes, isn't it? It feels that way. Really. Yeah, it feels that way because mm-hmm. when we're hypercritical of ourselves, as, as is the case with most of us, at least some of the time, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. then it may seem easier. But there are hidden things we do that come out of our own self-rejection that sabotage those relationships or keep them limited to a certain extent. So you felt that Baba was... was um really not of this world? Well, no, no. He was very much of this world. He was very Uh funny. He was very completely present, Mm -hmm. completely available and there. But it was also not easy to be around him because in the presence of this kind of love, all of your shame and fear and your crap in good English just Mm -hmm. gets flushed to the surface. But then... It dissolved so quickly in the in the light of that love. It was like you're being in the sun and your darkness comes out and the sun just absorbed a lot of it. But you said that you felt like he knew every thought. He would speak to you without speaking. Yeah. You knew yeah. things without anything. That happened constantly. Yeah, I mean, you would have a thought and he would respond to it. Mm. You know, in, he could respond to it with words, he could respond to it with a gesture, he could, but the, the communication was always extremely precise and profoundly helpful. And you said even, even when you were, and you liked to be off by yourself, you, like, you were really like an aesthetic, you lived out in the mountains, yeah. you walked around by yourself for many years, wandering like, like Jews in a desert, <laughs> maybe, uh, trying to, what, reconcile yourself, love yourself, get rid of the pain? Well, yeah, this, was, this happened after he left his body at the end of 1973. Mm-hmm. So he left his body, and I didn't know what to do with my life, because this, yeah, first of all, I had gone to India on a one-way ticket. I hated the West. I hated Germany, because it was so rough for me, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so there I was in India, and I was determined not to go back, and I just very naturally lived with the sadhus, the holy man. I lived in a cave for a while, I traveled around, and it was wonderful in a certain way, but, you know, I had the privilege of sitting in the stillness of the jungles, and guess what? My mind wouldn't shut up, because (laughs) it was just conditioned to run. Uh And so I realized that even though I had received this profound love and it had showed me a amazing 
potential that we all carry in us, I still had to deal with my mind. Because when you have one stressful thought, what happens to the heart? It closes instantly. So do you think that we come here with a purpose, each of us? Or is the purpose to love? No. Yeah, well, that is the purpose. The purpose is for us to become free. The purpose is for us to take the difficulties that we have and turn them into their opposites. So if I suffer from fear, what's the opposite of fear for you? No fear. I don't know what the word is. In in positive terms, for some people it's courage, security. For other people it's love, you see? Right. So right. whatever the opposite of fear is for you, that's, that's what, you, what the fear is for. If you have depression, you know, the opposite of, of depression, that's what the depression is for. Right. So whatever our difficulty is, the, the pain in life has a purpose. And the purpose is that we wake up to the fact that we can find the end of pain. Okay, so it's just, the mirror. The mirror is showing yeah. us, you know, in others, the people we don't like, we don't like because that's something that we don't like in ourselves. And, and the yeah. same is, is, is this. But here's my question then, because I found this to be very curious. You talk about Earth, the Earth School. We're mm-hmm. here. So my belief is when we're on the other side, we are everything that the yogi is. You know, we are, we are all loving and all encompassing and all knowledge and all consciousness. Why then do we come to Earth to be that same person or entity? Well, when you're talking like this on this absolute level, where in the very core of our being we are enlightened beings, what does right. that mean? It means that the presence of God is in us, the presence of the Supreme right. is in us, by whatever name, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that supreme is absolute love, absolute fulfillment in itself. In order to experience itself, it created countless worlds because everyone lives in their own world. Sure. You know? And so the suffering in our world is the juxtaposition against which we can experience the bliss of God. Without the suffering, how would we know bliss? Right. If everything was bliss, right? Right, absolutely. But now there are souls who are on the way down, on the way Mm -hmm. away from the core of their being. They're Mm -hmm. going into more suffering. Look around us. We see it all the time. Yes. You know, and there are other souls who are done with it and who are moving back to love, who are moving back into enlightenment, into freedom from suffering. And so those are the souls we're speaking to here. If you you have that yearning, then the universe will come to you and help you. We're about to go to a commercial break in just a moment. If you think LSD is mind-expanding, this conversation is about to get really weird and wild. So make sure you stick around because (laughs) there's a lot more to talk about here. That's for sure. I can't wait to get back and talk to you about that for sure. (laughs) Okay, we're going to take that little commercial break. And in just, I don't know, a few seconds, we're going to be gone. And you're going to stick around because you're going to want to hear what we have to say next. I know it. Here we go. Don't 
That's right. Don't stop listening. Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso will continue right after these messages. Stop. Secret Cuisines and Sacred Rituals is a quest, a place, and a feast. Join host Vilasi Venkatachalam every week to explore myths, mystique, old medicine, and brilliant modern solutions through a dazzling kaleidoscope of cuisines, cultures, and cures. This is the place where tribes gather, strangers and familiars, to be memory keepers and makers of our evolving, enduring, evergreen, spoken legacy of wisdom and ingenuity. In Velocity's words, when we do old things in new ways and new things in old ways, we paint with an inspired palette, weave our own healing traditions, and become our own guru. Velocity is a troubadour of secret cuisines and sacred rituals. She collects stories of wisdom, ingenuity, and grit. She believes wellness and transformation happen when you stand at the threshold of delight and discovery. She displays her hidden penchant for drama when she leads the safari at the supper club. Her favorite pastime is to extol the marvels of cuisines, cultures, and cures. To her audience in workplaces, seminars, and salons, her mantra is, be your own guru. She is a biochemist, botanist, and alchemist who likes to churn delightful, useful things from a brew of art and science, ancient and evolving, old medicine and new cures. Join Velocity every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, only here on the WooHoo Radio Network. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert Annette Hammond. Even though Halloween is my least favorite day of the year, it will be here soon, and having a strategy to not let it derail your healthy eating is a good idea. Weight Watchers says that there is really a trick to treats. You can stay on your healthy living plan, even though there is plenty of temptation around. They recommend to buy your candy late. Keep the temptation out of your house for as long as you can. Buy candy that you personally do not like. Have a plan for the leftover candy or the candy the kids bring home. Giving it away to your church or favorite charity is a good idea. But if you can't, then freeze it. It takes a while to eat a rock-solid piece of candy. Forgo the temptation to eat high-calorie, low-nutrition candy and stay on track. I'm Annette Hammond. To hear more fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com. And we're back. And thank you for staying tuned to us because we were talking about mind-blowing experiences. And uh, just off air, Ramgiri and I were just saying just really how mind-blowing life really is. And you mentioned that we, we come with that life spark with, with our God source, um, whatever you want to call it. Some people believe in, in you're, you're um, a hypnotherapist, and I'm also a metaphysical hypnotherapist. And, and they say that we come here often um, with only half of ourselves we leave half on the other side and uh you know we don't need all of all of who we are to to live this existence and see you know what it is that we need to learn what do you think of that well i don't quite uh, go with that i mean you know here we are why don't we try to be fully here mm-hmm. if we can be fully here then we can be fully there mm-hmm but why show up only half half asked someplace? Excuse me. <laughs> like that. I don't know. Why not? You know, and it may be true, but I don't know. I mean, I I'm here. Know. I'm trying to make this work. That's difficult enough. 
So do you think that past life, you know, we bring we bring the karmic? Lessons? Oh yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, why why do people? You know, everyone has that experience. You you're born into a certain family, and mm-hmm. in that family, you get certain strengths and talents and gifts, but you also get a package of challenges, right? Your maybe your father was an alcoholic, or your mother was neglectful, or your siblings hated you, or whatever it was. You know, so everybody has their particular set of problems. Well, you know, that's perfect for us because that's the setup exactly of the lessons that we have to learn. But the problem is that most people don't learn them. They just live with the problems mm-hmm. because they're not taught specifically what to do to overcome the stressful thoughts and beliefs they have, the negative emotional patterns that recycle, and the sense of separation that they have from the flow of life and from God and from themselves. So you know, it's interesting. That, sorry, I wanted to say it was interesting that you say that because in 2004, when I first became a coach, and I was looking around and I was teaching coaches, and and many of them were like brain surgeons and people like that. And I'm thinking, why would a brain surgeon, why would these really intelligent people want to become a coach? And it was the waking up. It was this consciousness that we can change our lives with just a thought. You know, it's perspective. It's per perspective and perception, and that everything can change if we question our belief system. It was amazing well, to me. Yeah, the, and you know, you're actually putting your finger on a particular skill that I really want to talk about because when I lived in the jungles, it was very clear to me that my mind was not under control. It was mm-hmm. just hopping from one thing to another. You know, in the jungle, there is nothing that you have to think about much. You know, I was living in a cave. I had my my fire going. I was cooking two meals a day. I had to collect wood from my fire and bathe in the river. That was it. And the rest could have been spent in meditation and bliss. But no, no, (laughs) that's another story. But, um, you know, my mind just wouldn't stop. So Mm -hmm. then I had 30 years of very focused spiritual practice, a lot of meditation, a lot of devotional practice, living on an ashram for most of that time, and so on. And I tell you what, after 30 years of all of that, there were still a set of very stressful beliefs in my mind. And then I met a woman named Byron Katie here in America. And Byron Katie had come up with a simple but very powerful way of examining the mind with the mind. Why would we do that? Because Mm -hmm. we want to find out the truth about our thoughts. Mm -hmm. So if I have a stressful thought, like, for instance, the thought, he hurt me, Mm -hmm. then, or he doesn't love me, for instance, you know? Mm -hmm. If I believe it, it becomes true. Mm -hmm. I live it out. Like Henry Ford one time said, the people who believe they can and the people who believe they can't are both right. Right. Think you I see? can, think I can. So it becomes self-fulfilling prophecies, what we think, right? Right. So she came up with a system called the work. Very simple. And I love it because it allows you to clear your stressful mind up very quickly. This is a lot of what I do with people now. It's also freely available on the internet. You can just look it up under the work. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a fantastic method that is a new addition 
to the tradition of meditations that is, of course, thousands of years old. And it is specific for people in our age and our type of mind. So that's what we use in my system called heart sourcing to help clear the mind of specific stressful thoughts and beliefs. So if I, if I said to you, um, I, I, I know I don't like myself. I know I'm extremely self critical As a matter of fact, I, I once wrote that if, if I was as mean to other people as I was to myself, somebody would probably shoot me. So why is it that we can be so critical of ourselves? Why do we hate ourselves so much? And, and, and the question is, why do I hate myself? And, the, and if you say, well, you can't have a, not, a non-answer, you have to answer yourself and drill down. Is that how you, you would do your work? No. It, okay. It's a little different than that. But to answer your, your question, why do you hate, why does anyone hate themselves, is because mm-hmm. we are taught that war works. And the way that works is that we're taught that if we're just tougher on ourselves, then we'll get better. So okay. it's actually an effort for us to improve, but it's gone in the totally wrong way because we just end up getting worse from hating ourselves. Mm-hmm. But you see, as children, what are we told? Oh, that's not right. Do this better. You can't do that. What's the matter with you? You see? And that Mm -hmm. goes in very deeply. We internalize that. And then these parental voices become our own voice. Mm -hmm. And we think we do it in good faith, saying, oh, you know, if I just... If I just try harder, if I just discipline myself more, if I just, uh, you know, grind my teeth and try to do it, then I'll get better. And it just doesn't work that way. It really needs to happen with love. Self-love is what heals. And that kind of self-depreciation, self-criticism, all the way to self-hate doesn't do anything for us. So for anyone listening, to the extent that you have that in your life, you really need to do an about face and see if you can find and how you can find the real source of love, which is in you. It's 100% in you. And you can find it there. It's not even hidden. It's I'm, going right. to, I'm going to ask the question of the person who's listening who can't ask you the question. Because mm-hmm. they may say to you, I don't know what love is. How do I yeah. know when I love myself? Well, you know, if you don't know what love is, Welcome, because you're in good company. Nobody (laughs) really knows what love is. Now, let me explain this. You see, we look at what love is like we look at the face in the mirror, and we say, that's who I am over there, that face in the mirror. We are not aware of the real place of love. We think love is what we get or what we can give in relationships. And there's nothing wrong with that. But that's not where love begins. Love begins in the very core of our being. Now, when I say core of our being, I don't, I'm not talking about the emotional heart. Mm-hmm. The emotional heart where we say, my heart is broken. Yeah, that can break. Mm-hmm. But interior to that heart, at the very core of our being, there is the spiritual heart. There's an Indian term called hridayam. And what that means is, This I am. This is who I am. Our true identity. That is the real infinite source of love that is timeless and always present in every being. We couldn't live without it, but we don't know about it. We almost always look outside for love 
-hmm. when it's actually inside where the source is. And if we go inside and find it there, and this is what heart sourcing does, then we can heal and fill up from inside. We can nurture ourselves. We can, with this fullness that we can find in us, then share love freely because we're not like hungry ghosts wanting love from people. No, mm -hmm. we can give it. We have abundance. We have the great wealth of love inside of us. And then in that way, relationships can become wonderful because they're no longer overshadowed by this need for, you know, what happens to me if I don't have him or her in my life? You know? Right. No. You are fully within yourself. It's like you don't need somebody. Right. And because you don't need, there's no fear. So you can give freely and receive freely. So why, why when we're feeling those moments of wonderful, you know, those, like you talked about uh, everyone in our life, everybody, you know, we've seen that one moment where we feel consciousness. We really feel like we belong, you know, we're all one. And so why would we sabotage that great feeling? Why don't we want to feel good all the time? Why do we go to the negative and, and, and like to, you know, wallow in it like pigs? Very Crap. good question. And there is a very good answer. And there is a term that Eckhart Tolle made popular. It's called the pain body. Mm -hmm. So what is the pain body? See, our ego has a way that we have felt ourselves to be, right? And that has our strengths in it, our good sides, but it also has this hidden underbelly of the pain that we're accustomed to, right? right. And that's what it feels like to be us, right? Mm -hmm. So in your case, you talked about this self-hate. Well, that's in there. Mm -hmm. So... What happens is then when you get really miserable, then you run for therapy and you get a little bit happier, then it's okay again, right? Mm -hmm, right? But when you get really happy, then that feels just as much to the ego, it feels uncomfortable. And you start sabotaging yourself, you start creating occasions for that pain to come back because that's what it feels like to be you, you unconsciously think. Right. This is right. what's called the pain body. That's how we sabotage ourselves. Now, the way we get free of it is by becoming conscious that we're doing it. Because right. when we become conscious that we're doing it, it dissolves. It can only survive when we're not aware of it. Okay. So if you're listening and you know you have a pain body and you know that you want to get rid of this pain body, stick around because in about 30 seconds we'll, we'll be back and uh, talking about this and more. And it's so interesting and thank you so much for being here. Don't go away. We're coming right back. Don't stop. That's right. Don't stop listening. Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso will continue right after these messages. Don't stop. Do you ever wonder if you're the only woman who runs errands in her yoga pants so it will look like she went to the gym? Or how about the only mom who feeds her kids raw cookie dough? Or are you the only one who cooks her family cold cereal for dinner? Do you need more laughter and less loudness? More self-love and less self-loathing? More joy and less judgment? You're not alone. Come to the living room a place where we get comfy, candid, and confident together. Come seeking sanctuary and leave feeling renewed. We're saving a seat for you. Give yourself some living room today. 
Webster was born in the month of October 1758, and we celebrate all he did for us logoleps, logomaniacs, and lovers of words. After America won its independence, Noah Webster thought Americans needed their own spelling dictionary that would teach American language usage and instill a sense of pride in the new nation, as opposed to using England's textbooks. His American dictionary contained 70,000 words. Today, that number has grown considerably. It's no wonder many of us suffer from lethologica. That's the inability to remember a word. Noah Webster began writing his dictionary when he was 43 years old and finally completed it 27 years later in 1843. Webster didn't make much money on the book, and upon his death, the Miriam brothers acquired the rights to Webster's Dictionary. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my new app, Too Funny for Words. And we're back. And thank you so much for sticking around. You know, I want to make sure that you can find Ram Gary's book. Um, you can go to his website at heartsourcing.com. You can write to him at info at skillsforawakening.com. And again, um, his book is Heart Sourcing, Finding the Way to Love and Liberation. And, you know, not everybody has to go and live in caves for 20 years and ashrams. No, no, I didn't. I wasn't there for 20 years. That was just one year. <laughs> no, but I'm just saying you had a very, um, you know, singular kind of a journey that isn't necessary to get rid of this pain body that we were talking Absolutely. about. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I think even though I live in India now, but I say to everybody, you don't have to live in India now. It's <laughs> Everything is there, right in the States, right in Europe, wherever people are. It's all there now. Back in the 60s and 70s, it wasn't there yet. You know? So right. some of us had to go over there and sort of create this flow of wisdom that came from the East or, or facilitate it. We weren't the creators of it. But uh, to this day, it's no longer necessary. And we also have amazing teachers now really liberated enlightened teachers in the west now because that had to happen because the hunger for spiritual knowledge and freedom is so great in the west so we had to have our own teachers that were specific for us right and i mean it didn't I, have to be translated from sanskrit or something you know you mentioned Eckhart Tolle and you mentioned you know his pain body and identified that really well um you know and Eckhart Eckhart said uh, you know, he talks about um, the past and the future as as places that we don't want to go. We just have to stay in the now because pain mm -hmm. lives, you know, regret lives in the past and uh, mm -hmm. I guess pain's in the future. So if we stay here in the present, it's always going to be good. Well, and, you can say it this way, uh, Frankie. If you want regrets, create a future. Mm. And if you want fear, create a uh, no. If you want regrets, create a past in your mind. Right. And, and if you want fear, fear create a future. You know? Right. Because yeah. those are creations of our mind. Yeah, we can say yeah, but it happened. Whatever the past is, but the way we carry it around is up to us. We can live in the now. We can know our past, but we can live in the now. And the now, when you really go deeper into the now. Mm -hmm. Not just being present, that's sort of the, the awareness part of it, but you go deeper. What does it turn into? It turns into all-encompassing love. Right. 
you know, because being present is just the foundation of being loving. You know, it's interesting, um, in my own book, <laughs> uh, Midlife Mojo, I talk about midlife as, as, you know, a metamorphosis, that, that, that midlife crisis that people talk about is, is just breaking away from our socialized self into our real self, because it's almost like it's the last, the last chapter that we, you know, we have to do that in order to awaken um, mm-hmm. it, it, and really find out who we were supposed to be if we haven't. We got trapped yeah. in, you know, the work and in, in everyday life. Mm-hmm. And, and so this awakening, this, this love, I find that there seems to me, and I'm wondering about you, if, there, if you're really feeling this awakening and consciousness um, around the world right now. Like, I really feel well, like people are waking I, up. I want to first say something about love because it's so misunderstood. Love is not some kind of mushy emotional state. Love, the way I know it to be, is absolutely clear. And love can be like a knife cutting through falseness, cutting through untruth, cutting through hate, and opening that space inside of us where it is always pristine. Yeah, but what do you mean tough love? I mean, if you want to get get free, Mm -hmm. why do you need the stuff that hangs you up, that creates pain for you, you know? So be committed to that love, be committed to your freedom, be serious about it, and the world will come to your aid. You know what they say, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Right. Well, that right. happens in every moment. When you are ready, the moment you're in is your teacher. So let's look at your life for one second, really quickly. Let's look, you had, you had you know, a set of parents, and they say that we choose our parents for the lessons that we need to learn. So if we were to look at your life, you got the, you got the parents, the time, you know, the space at the right place and time for you in order to teach us about love. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, needed, I needed to be really screwed up as a kid. Mm-hmm. to develop this great thirst for sanity mm-hmm. and for love, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm very grateful to this painful past. And I developed that thirst and I had enormous help. I mean, I can't tell you about what I've received from my different teachers. Just amazing. And then you get to the point where it's your job to pass it on yourself, Right. And this is, has given me a life that is so filled with joy. The people I work with, it's just amazing to see them change and, and open up like flowers. It's just great. And everyone who is serious has that potential. If you're not serious, if you're playing around, well, you know, you're going to be playing a while longer and then pain is going to come again and make you more serious. But why not just get serious? Well, let's Saves just talk about how you're heart sourcing. Let's talk about how your heart, you, you developed heart sourcing. It's, it's, it's trademarked. Um, and you did something really amazing and specific. One of your greatest pains was, was this idea of, of Auschwitz and, and the Nazis and Hitler and everything that the, the Germans had done. You went to Auschwitz. You went there. You faced your greatest fear, shame whatever, used your process, your own process, and broke free. Tell us how that happened. Well, um, I knew at that time that I had my ducks in a row. I knew what 
I could do and how I could clear my mind. But I had not come around to really facing my own personal hell. Now, mine was the background of the, of, of the Holocaust. Uh, I want to make this personal. Everyone who listens has their own personal hell. It's the kind of stuff that happened to you, the deepest pain, the things that you think you can never forgive, the uh, horrors that you don't want to look at inside of you. And my message is, and I'll talk about Auschwitz for a moment, but my message is that there is nothing, nothing that this deep love in us and the conscious awareness in our minds cannot heal. So what happened was that in 2006, I was invited to go to Auschwitz and I went there and stayed there for quite a few days and used these skills, the different skills of heart sourcing, which we haven't talked about in detail, mm -hmm. except that we talked about the work. I used them there and it was a profound and amazing experience and I cannot give you the result of it because that everyone has to find for themselves. But I can tell you in words what happened to me. I have not had a moment pain after that experience uh, about something that was consistently painful in my life. And everyone can do that. I forgot to tell you about the cancer. You had cancer at 23, inoperable cancer, cancer that they couldn't cure you of. And when you came back to the West, your, your Baba had cured you. Yeah, there was something he told me to do, and I finally got it done. And with that, the cancer That's vanished. Amazing. But, that's you know, amazing. That's, that was the kind of man he was. He was able to do amazing things. And we're all able to do amazing things because we, we all have that ability, like you said, inside of us, that, that love, that forgiveness, that healing is in each of us. Yeah, indeed it is. And it's it's unfortunately so hidden in plain sight. Yeah. It's hidden in plain sight because we all seek for love and attention and acknowledgement outside of us. Right. And in that like addiction to get it from out there, we don't realize that whenever we get it from out there, it is unstable because it will end mm -hmm. because everything in this world ends. The best relationship, maybe even a lifelong relationship at one point will come to an end. And we know that in the back of our minds. So we're somewhat afraid of that happening and we don't completely open up. But when we go into the depth of our own heart, we realize we can feel the source of love inside of us and we can receive that love. And what that means is that we become the lover and the beloved in one. The source of love and the receiver of love in one. And when we are the giver and the receiver of love at the same time, then loving becomes absolutely safe. And it can heal us in profound ways. Ramgiri, you work with people one-on-one. -on -one. You work in groups. They can come to heartsourcing.com and I find out how to work, do this work. I don't work in groups right now. We have some retreats coming up here in India. Right. But uh, I work right now one-on-one. -on -one. If we have enough interest, I'm certainly going to start a group. So if people are interested, get in touch with us at heartsourcing.com at uh, contact information there, and uh, we will do the best we can serve you in whatever, uh, with whatever your needs are.
if you want to go to Amazon anywhere in the world and purchase his book, Heart Sourcing, Finding the Way, Finding Our Way to Love and Liberation, uh, your method is in the book. Yes. Probably, probably even better to work with you one-on-one and uh, probably quicker. We also uh, have free stuff on the website mm-hmm. uh, that people can look up. Right. So we've got, you know, maybe a minute left. What would you like to say? Well, the main thing is that I want to say is there are skills available that can radically, deeply make your life better. And even more than skills, there is the source of love inside of you. And love is the great healing power. So become earnest, become serious about that. Commit yourself to your own happiness. You already want it in the deepest place in your being. Find that deep place and commit yourself to that. Make that the most important thing in your life. And the universe, as I said before, will conspire to help you. It will lift you up. It will show you where the next teaching or the next teachers are. Because thoughts do become things. And you can watch videos of Ram Giri on YouTube. You can see him. Yeah. He can talk to you and you can feel his wonderful presence there. And again, go to his website or check out his book because it's just absolutely a, a really, really great read. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today. It is our first show of 2016 and it has been an amazing and wonderful show. And because of that, um, all the love that you shared with us, I, I really appreciate that, Ram Gary. Thank you, Frankie. And everybody have a wonderful new year. Thank you so much. And thanks, Lisa, for producing this wonderful show for us. Everybody, you take care wherever you are in the world, day or night. We love you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Much love. Thank you so much. When the chips were down, they didn't stop. Stories of people who, when the odds were against them, turned defeat into victory. You've been listening to Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso. See you next time, and always remember... Don't, 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 don't stop.